The audio you are about to hear was recorded at the 2018 USA-Canada Region District Superintendents Retreat in Carlsbad, California. Our prayer is that you are blessed by this message. First, I would like to just express my gratitude for the way you, you have welcomed my family and you have embraced us and to be a part of you. Um, knowing that uh, we come from a different culture, different accent, but you have received us with great warmth and make us a part of the family. And some of you have watched you be intentional in making my children really feel comfortable. Thank you so much for ministering to them and for loving on them. Um, we will be reading this morning from Luke chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. This message can be as short as five minutes or it can be as long as one hour and 30 minutes depending on where you preach. Even in Africa, depending on where you preach, it can be. But I've been praying a lot about what God will want me to say to, to us today. And not only to us today, but what God will have me say to the church. I'm in the process of praying that God you have called me in this assignment. What's, what's the contribution that you want me to bring to the church? How do you want to use me? And, and the Lord led me to a lot of passages that has to do with preparing the way or preparing the people of God to see God's movement to experience his power. Um, so many times I sense God saying to me that, you know, it's not enough to write about it and to read about it. it. We need to experience that movement of God in our lives. And he wants to do something in his church. And for God to do that, he uses men and women that he calls to prepare his people. And when he, he says in his word, when his people are prepared, all people will see God's glory. And that's my prayer, that the church of the Nazarene will see God's glory. And the people around us the world around us will see and experience God's glory and his salvation because the people called Nazarenes have, fully, have been fully transformed and revived by God and commissioned by God to go out there and represent him and prepare the people and call them to the Lord in such a way that they can surely know that God has visited their nations, their communities, and their families. 
And this is my prayer then. This is my prayer that God will continue to radically transform my life. What will continue to transform the church of the Nazarene will transform the leadership of the church of the Nazarene to a point where holiness is not just something that we write about and we know how well to articulate it. It's not enough to know how to write about it. Holiness is powerful than sin. It's really powerful. And God wants us to experience that. He wants his world to experience that. And he calls us to make a people prepared for Jesus Christ and the work that he wants to do. Luke chapter 1. 16 to 17. This is about John the Baptist. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke emphasizes the fact that a new life in Christ implies that his followers are called to give up their old way of life. If you read throughout the book of Luke, you read uh, Acts, that, that theme seems to come out that as the people of God, you cannot continue to live your old way of life. God calls you to be different. Those who are in Christ should not continue to live in the ways that were shaped by the patterns of the world that they were a part of. And we know that these people in this context were mostly shaped by the things that were surrounding them. The vision of the kingdom as they looked through the eyes of Roman Empire. As we go back throughout the word of God, we will find that God, when he created Humanity, he desired for the people to live in a relationship with him. Live as holy people, a people of holiness. It was never God's desire that people would walk away from him and live in ways that did not honor him. But because of sin, because of evil, because humanity thought that they can be the lords of their own lives. They walked away from the Lord. And thanks be to God 
that God did not give up. He did not give up. And he knew that humanity cannot redeem herself. We cannot save ourselves. And he did not say, well, you want to be Lord of yourself, so go ahead. He comes and he calls them back. Come back. Come back. Not that you will make yourself enter into this holy relationship just by your practices and knowing about God or because you have walked with me, you talked with me in the past, but because my love and my grace and my mercy is poured out in such a way that I can redeem you and if you allow me to work in your life, I will redeem you and once again embrace you as my child and live in this covenant relationship of a holy living in your walk with me. God never gives up on his people. So when Luke comes and he proclaims that the new way of life is what God desires from us, what Luke is proclaiming to us is that God wants to do something radical in our lives. He wants to do something that the things of this world that are shaping our imagination and our thinking, they cannot do, they cannot bring us back into this relationship with the Lord. They may offer us things that we think that they look wonderful and they are helpful in our lives, but they are not. So we are called to return to God. And he says, those who return to God through Jesus Christ will be made a new creation and their sins will be forgiven. They can now experience salvation from sin and from the power of sin. They can live victorious life, holy life, in this world that is different. They can live a holy life because Christ makes it possible. Not because they are able to, but because he makes it possible. This life is possible through Christ who makes us holy and invites us to remain in him in obedience wholly devoted to God and continuously being made holy by God. So if we were to ask Luke, maybe, how does one make ready a people prepared for the Lord? And what does it mean to make people ready for the, for the Lord? I imagine maybe he would say, proclaiming the good news, that God invites us to come back to the fullness of life found in a covenantal relationship with God. I imagine that you will say it's a call to a right relationship with God, holy living, unpolluted with sin. And again, 
Luke had this optimism that this is possible because God promised and he is able to do it. It's not just something, oh, it is there in the Old Testament and the prophets. But Luke had this belief that it is possible. He can do it. He's doing it. Something is happening. A few weeks ago, I was traveling in Asia Pacific and be part of the church in different places. I had so much fun. Some places, people trying to take pictures with me and realizing I'm really tall and they're short. Should I sit? Should they stand on the chair? Had a lot of fun. Some people saying, oh, we were wondering how you look like. I mean, we, we have an idea of how general superintendents look like. So we were wondering how you really look like. Oh, you are very young. Oh, yes, I am young, and I like hearing that I'm young. <laughs> and, oh, you are different. Even your accent, we're not sure if we'll be able to translate for you because we are not used to translating for a different accent. Oh, your skin looks different. And then I tweeted something, or I put it on Facebook. It hit me one evening. I said, what we are seeing in the church is not something the world can do. The world does not necessarily think of people coming from different parts of the world different backgrounds, different accents, being people of one family. The world cannot do that, but God can do that. And I said, it is happening. It is true. He is restoring his creation. Because it's only him who is able to, to redeem his world and restore the creation to the place where we can feel like we are the family of God regardless of where we come from, regardless of our background, regardless of where we lived in sin. Jesus Christ makes us one. He sanctifies us and he commissions us to be his people in the world. And the world is watching. The world is watching. As we participate in his mission to proclaim his holiness. Not just living, reading, writing about it or talking about it, but living it out. And as I walk around and visit different places and see how the church is moving into different places and touch people's lives through various ministries that we have in the church. I rejoice that, oh yes, it's happening. The people of God, how they, you know, we don't do compassion ministry just because it's compassion ministry. We do it because we are compelled by his love. I mean, everybody wants justice. Everyone wants to do acts of justice. Everyone wants to touch people's lives in some way. But we don't do it 
just because everyone is doing it. We do it because it is the heart of our God. It's the heart of holiness that he compels us to, to go out there and say, this is not how he wants his world to be. He wants his world to be restored. He wants to redeem his world. And he has invited humanity to be in partnership with him. So I get concerned sometimes when social justice is just social justice just for the sake of social justice. We are not just another social movement. We are the movement of God representing him in the world and participating in what he's doing, following him in what he's doing around the world. You know, yes, John the Baptist is to do this. But I think of the Old Testament. It did not start with John the Baptist. Throughout the Old Testament, we learn about the prophets going out there and call people back to the Lord. Because God was committed to his people. Even when people did not embrace the covenant, God gave them his law. He gave himself. But even when they were not committed, God remained committed. And he remains committed even today. Should I say, even when sometimes as the church of the Nazarene, we are not so committed. Or maybe we are committed always. But like the children of Israel, there were times that the vision of what kingdom of God looks like was blurry. I think sometimes the things around us, they cause us not to see clearly what God wants to do and how God wants to use us. But in Old Testament, the prophets were faithful to continue to proclaim that God is wanting to redeem his people. He will redeem them. He, he will do his work in their lives. And you know, even the exile, because we find people sometimes finding themselves in exile, which will say maybe they're suffering because of their own doing. But there were times that the suffering and the pain was not because of their own doing. It was because they live and we live in this fallen world. A world that is filled with so many systems that do not honor God. And sometimes those systems cause people's God, the people of the Lord to also experience pain and suffering. But there were times that that suffering was because of their own doing. 
But even then, when it was because of their own doing, when you read carefully throughout the Old Testament, God's actions were always redemptive. We like to think of it as, oh, punishment and all of that. And, and we can put all those words, anger and whatever. This upset the Lord. But you continuously see a God who is saying, oh, don't you see that when you enter into this lifestyle, you, you will destroy yourself. You're destroying my creation. So come back to me, return to me, experience my redemption. Everything was in a part of his redemptive work. An invitation to humanity to come back to a life that honors God. And the prophets pointed to the fact that one day what God is doing as he called the Israel and God forming them as his people so that they will declare the praises of the Lord. One day, this will be fulfilled not only to the nation of Israel, but to all nations. Because the call to Abraham was not that Abraham will just be a blessing to this, to this only people, but it was that God was calling him to be a blessing to all people on the earth. So in the coming of Christ, this will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled that people from all over the world who will experience the power of God in their lives, they will participate in calling people back to the Lord. will participate in inviting others to enter into a relationship with God. I like to think in these ways in the prophets as they were consistently calling people to return to God. They were calling them <clears throat> to enter into a right relationship with God. Which would result not, in, not only in having the right relationship with God, but the right relationship with the neighbor. Love for God. And love for the others. That's holiness. That the world cannot offer. It's, it's impossible to be completely devoted to God. And love him completely. And love others unconditionally. If God does not do the work in our lives. I mean, don't you think it's just crazy to be told love your enemies? How can you love your enemies? We cannot do that. I mean, the narrative around us will tell us all the reasons why we should hate them even more. How we should really make sure we distance ourselves from them. But Christ says, no. Come on. Just go and love on them. Get closer to them. Oh, well, they don't care about me. They don't want me. And they want all kinds of evil. Just get closer to them. It's only made possible 
through God. And it can be fulfilled in Christ. So, as I think about this, and come to the fact that God says, John the Baptist will prepare the way of the Lord. It takes me back to the thought that, you know, this was something that the people of Israel anticipated long ago. They really expected he will come, he will redeem, he will restore. But sometimes they even did not think so much about him restoring the, the, the whole creation or thinking of restoring the other nations. They thought of themselves. And now it's happening. The word comes that John the Baptist is going to come and make ready a people for the Lord. It's no surprise that John the Baptist, as he begins his ministry, he begins with the preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You, you can ask yourself, okay, these people were anticipating the coming of the kingdom of God. God was going to completely rescue them from all this suffering, pain, and all the things that, 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 that did not, they were not pleasing for them. And finally, God was going to restore them into this wonderful nation the best nation, and everybody will know that Yahweh is the only God. He will restore his people. They knew the law. They knew the commandments. They knew the prophecies. They could write them. They could articulate them well. Why would John then have to say to them, repent for the kingdom of God is here? Why would he call them? It's almost like he's going back to the same narrative of the prophets where he calls people, return to the Lord. Because they had begun to include things in their own lives that did not honor God. Maybe syncretistic kind of life, worship of other gods, they, listen to this. They did not lose that hope that he will come. Their vision was just not exactly what God intended. They knew he was coming. That was something that was part of their narrative. They knew he's coming to restore his people. And yes, we had different levels of groups, some that were fully committed and some that began to feel like when he comes, he's really not going to take these ones because these ones are worse and we are better here even within this nation of Israel and we are the only ones who will be redeemed and through us, God is going to do something new. But John comes and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. Come back to the right relationship with God. Align your life with the way of the Lord. Open your hearts for something new that God wants to do. Oh yes, you know the stories about Abraham. You know the stories of how God delivered 
his people from Egypt, and we rejoice in that. I mean, there were songs written about how God redeemed his people from Egypt. This was part of what shaped part of their optimism. They, 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 they were rejoicing that God did something in their own lives as the nation of Israel. And they knew all of this. They knew how he saved them from the different times when they're in exile. And they could sing about this. But John says, along the way, you have allowed things to be a part of your life. But those things are not the way of holiness. Was this only Israel that had this problem? I I don't think so. I think it applies to us today. That sometimes we begin to embrace things without even thinking about it. And it doesn't take long that our devotion is not completely to God. And we are no longer holy to God belonging to God, but we begin to have idols. Even our own ministry and position can become an idol. So he says, come back to the Lord. He calls them to return to the Lord. Just a few things to mention here. And look, he challenges them in ways that probably we would not do today. But at the same time, I wonder if we are not called to discover new ways in which we can communicate God's truth in our time. The word says John the Baptist will go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And I went back and see what was happening with Elijah that was so important. And of course, we can go back to to Malachi and see how this fits into the whole idea, the the anticipation of the people of God, of someone, the messenger who will come and prepare the way of the Lord. But going back to Elijah, it, it kind of gives the idea that this minister, messenger, must go And be bold in proclaiming the word of God. Elijah, as we know, he was bold to confront sin and evil. The problem is sometimes boldness can endanger your own life. But he was bold to confront evil and sin. He was bold to say to the people, how long will you go between two opinions? Make a decision. 
God is able to do something in your life. And if you want to belong to the Lord, give your life, surrender yourself. Should I use surrender? Surrender your life, submit yourself to the Lord and allow him to do something in your life. And if Baal or if these idols, these other gods are more important to you, all these other things are more important to you, then maybe you need to commit yourself to those. But you do need to know that God, Yahweh, is the only God. So he goes in this boldness. And John the Baptist comes out and says, repent. And they come out and he challenges them. Jesus challenges them. I mean, you find this language here in the New Testament. You brood of vipers and all of that. I mean, try to do that in your church. <laughs> but I think we do need to discover what boldness looks like today. Amen. The bottom line is that God does not want sin to find residence in his church. He wants his church to be holy. He wants his people to have the right relationship with him. He wants his people to recognize that it's not a once-off that, oh, someday God saved me and he sanctified me, but continuously we concentrate ourselves and we come to him and say, Lord, do it again, sanctify us and make us holy for your holy purposes in the world and send us out, not in our own strength and power and knowledge, but in your power. It's really not in the power and the authority of Elijah. It is in the power of God that John the Baptist was to go out there. And God calls us, like John the Baptist, to prepare his people. To prepare his people. I think of this as a revival. I really do. And we, we, we have so many definitions and understandings of revival. But I think if the church does not experience spiritual renewal, and not just only spiritual renewal, but a continuous call and devotion to be in the right relationship with God, with clear understanding that it is him alone who makes us holy. Holiness does not derive from our books, from our understanding. In fact, we still don't understand it fully. It derives from God who is holy. And he calls us to come to him and say, Lord, do something in our lives. I mean, it's either we really believe that holiness is powerful than sin, or we don't. I believe it is. We have seen it throughout the history. We are here today as a result of that. There was this optimism that, oh, he, he wants to do something. 
The prophets held on to this truth. They proclaimed it even when things did not look like, even when it looked like it was not going to happen. They continued to believe that it's going to happen because he promised and he's holy and he calls his people to be holy and they proclaimed it. Jesus came in and incarnated that life so that we can experience and know through Jesus Christ what it means to live a holy life. And he invited us and he says, come and enter into this relationship. Live with me. Abide in me. Abide in the Father. Experience the abundance of my holiness. So that you can be my people. Not just by name. But in truth, our tradition, our own heritage, we are here today because there was optimism. They believe that it's not just something that is in the books, it's not just something that happened in the past. It's not just something that we, we hear about and is forgotten. God is still at work. And they believed and they went out and, and they proclaimed. They created those small groups and, and class meetings and, and begin to teach one another, hold each other accountable and proclaim. Go to those camp meetings and proclaim that, hey, His holiness is powerful. Sin is not powerful. They proclaimed it. And we have this beautiful church. Did they not face challenges? They did. There were things that came along the way, including legalism and all of that. But thanks be to God that God continues to work in our lives and he continues to call us and say, come and learn from me. Don't focus so much on the mistakes of that one and the mistake that happened on that word and the mistake that happened on that legalism, but focus on the fact that I am forming my people. I am creating a movement that will transform the world. Come and enter into this relationship with me and see what I will do through you today. Not yesterday, but today. God calls us to prepare his people. He calls us to prepare his people. Well, I need to quit. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. I pray, O Lord, heal the church of the Nazarene. Heal the church of the Nazarene. Make us truly your people not just by tradition, heritage, but because you have come to visit your people.